Derek Olson here to reconstruct the prehistoric past with you. So in this episode, we're going to first travel to Mesopotamia to talk about an ancient Sumerian star map that revealed a cataclysmic asteroid impact. Then we're going to go to Italy to talk about what may be an Atlantean monument that is literally hidden in plain sight. Then we're going to travel to Peru to talk about a strange site that not many know about that may have been either a prehistoric playground or a subterranean sacrificial death chamber, or maybe both. And then lastly, we're going to go to Egypt, and we're going to look at what might be a possible 80-ton depiction of a golden age goddess. You are not going to want to miss this episode. Uh, before we jump into these amazing topics, I want to let you know that uh, I'm excited to announce registration is live for our Megalithic Marvels of Peru tour coming October 2nd through the 12th, 2023. And this is going to be an incredible uh, expedition to Peru. Uh, we're actually going to go to the site that I just referenced um, and see about 20 other megalithic sites. We're going to learn about the incredible Inca Empire. Uh, so visit megalithicmarvels.com tours or click the link in the show notes below. And then also registration for Egypt tour is still up, but it's almost closed. We're going to close it here next month. I think we've got a couple spots left um, and we're going to visit the Great Pyramids of Giza and 20 other sites um, this May 17th through the 28th. Uh, we're going to have a private tour inside the Great Pyramid and so much more. We're going to go down the Nile River um, for a couple days, which is just an ama amazing experience living off a boat and stopping to see all these different sites. So again, click the show notes below or go to megalithicmarvels.com. Uh, slash tours for all the info. Okay, let's get into our first topic. Ancient Sumerian star map reveals cataclysmic asteroid impact. I found this so fascinating. So over 150 years ago, this ancient Sumerian star map was found by a guy named Henry Laird in a subterranean library in Nineveh. Again, this was over 150 years ago. And ever since its discovery, scholars had been puzzled to learn the meaning of this Sumerian star map until computer software in 2008 finally allowed for this cuneiform clay tablet to be translated, which revealed the oldest documented observation of an asteroid impact to Earth. Now, this tablet was long thought to be an Assyrian tablet, uh, but again, computer analysis has matched it with the sky above Mesopotamia over 5,000 years ago and proved it to be much, much more ancient, not of Assyrian origin, but Sumerian origin. This tablet's now held at the British Museum, and it's known as the Planisphere. And you can click the show notes of this podcast, and you're going to see uh, the third link is an article about this star map which has all the photos okay so that way you can put a picture with what i'm saying but it's at the british museum it's called the planisphere and it provides extraordinary proof for the existence of sophisticated sumerian astronomy this thing is approximately five inches in diameter and it tells how this ancient sumerian astronomer observed a massive asteroid approaching earth on june 29th 3,123 B.C. Uh, crazy. Uh, 
as it smashed through our planet's atmosphere and made its way to the surface, the ancient astronomer referred to the cosmic body as, quote, a white stone bowl approaching from the sky, end quote. Amazing to me that this astronomer, uh, you know, pictured it as, as this bowl, right, crashing through. And again, I provide a picture that uh, looks similar to what this astronomer may have observed when he saw this asteroid. Uh, the Sumerian astronomer not only described the object, but managed to make a note of the object's trajectory uh, relative to the stars. And he did so with amazing precision. Experts say that the trajectory of the asteroid was recorded with an error of less than one degree. And this allowed modern scholars to simulate the trajectory of the space rock and conclude that it most likely impacted Europe. Uh, this event is known by historians as the Kofels Impact, where a kilometer-long asteroid crashed into the Alps near Kofels, Austria, over 5,600 years ago. Um, you can see when you scroll through these photos, um, some further away shots of this tablet and then some really up-close shots. There's also a drawing which kind of gives you a cool overview of what you're looking at. This tablet, also known as an astrolabe, is the earliest known astronomical instrument. And as you can see from the drawing I alluded to, it consists of a segmented disc-shaped star chart with marked units of angle measure inscribed upon the rim. Now, unfortunately, you're going to see that about 40% of this tablet is missing. Um, and the reverse side of the tablet is not inscribed, it's blank. Uh, but despite its small size, this Sumerian star map masterfully depicts the course of events by dividing it into eight pieces or pictures. So the Sumerians were an amazing civilization, far more high-tech, I believe, than we've been led to believe. Okay, so now let's travel to Italy to talk about what may be an Atlantean monument hidden in plain sight. You know, just when you think you've kind of heard it all or seen it all, you come across something that kind of just shocks you. And this this was that for me. Uh, somebody gave me a tip about this that follows me on Instagram. And uh, if you're listening, thank you very much. There's, you know, just some minuscule information about this um, out there, but not much. So uh, I made a blog article about it, a video about it. And now um, I'm putting it on the podcast here to hopefully get this out to the world. But this was fascinating to me. So there's a small village in southern Italy. And it's home to what is a, an incredible prehistoric enigma. Now for centuries, perhaps millennia, a mysterious monolith, or should I say megalith, uh, has dominated the landscape and been waiting for its rightful place in the archaeological world. Defying time and weather... The, quote, elephant of Campana, end quote, as it's called, stands over 16 feet tall. Now, despite horrific erosion that it's endured, the shape of a massive elephant appears quite obvious to me with the trunk, tusks, and ears clearly marked. Now, again, click the show notes of this podcast to see the uh, article about the um, elephant of Campana here. And you're going to see uh, several AI images I made that show you comparisons of the 
eroded possible statue we see now. And you're going to just see probably like me that this thing clearly looks like an ancient elephant statue. Okay. Uh, the elephant appears to have something even on its back. When you look at this one photo, I've um, outlined in red what looks like the lower torso of a body and legs. Um, it looks like a rider uh, from the waist down to the ankles. Um, some archaeologists claim that this is a depiction, of, uh, that this possible statue is a depiction of Elephas Antiquus from the late Pleistocene period, um, basically a prehistoric elephant, which would have been of similar size. I think this thing, the statue stands 16 feet tall, and these elephants were uh, even a little taller than that, about 20 feet tall. Um, but again, despite the horrific erosion, it has endured the shape of a massive elephant appears quite obvious. Um, so was this a depiction of elephant, elephant Antiquus? Um, fossils of this ancient elephant have been discovered in the Polino Massif Mountains nearby, providing that proving that Southern Europe was once inhabited by this direct descendant of the Asiatic elephant. Um, some even wonder if this weathered statue is actually a fossilized Elephas Antiquus. I guess that would be even more incredible in some respects. As you scroll down to this article, you're going to see another photo which is quite striking because it shows that this elephant-looking statue is located above these subterranean caves. So underneath the elephant, caves have been excavated, uh, sparking theories that an ancient subterranean civilization may have lived underneath it at one time and possibly even carved or crafted it. Now, I find it interesting that in Plato's Critias text, which basically describes the incredible natural attributes of the Golden Age city of Atlantis, there is this curious passage. Quote, there was an abundance of wood for carpenter's work and sufficient maintenance for tame and wild animals. Moreover, there were a great number of elephants in the island. For as there was provision for all sorts of animals, both for those which live in lakes and marshes and rivers, and also for those which live in mountains on plains. So there was for the animal which is the largest and most voracious of all. End quote. Uh, Plato's use of the word abundance here helps to illuminate the idea that Atlantis was like a type of paradise, right? At least in the sense of nature. It's as if Plato is telling us that it was through this paradise of natural wonders that elephants were able to thrive in this environment. Now, although Plato does not go into great detail about the elephant themselves, it's obvious that they hold immense power and are animals to be respected when he writes that they are the, quote, largest and most voracious of all, end quote. In the last 20 years, uh, Dr. Robert Schock and others have put forth compelling evidence that the great Sphinx of Giza could be at least 12,000 years old, and that due to the intense erosion that would have especially impacted the head, the dynastic Egyptians of 3000 BC came along and recarved the head or repurposed the head, which is why it is now so much smaller than the rest of the body today. Why do I share that? Well, are we looking here at another severely weathered zoomorphic monument 
possibly from the golden age of Atlantis, that is hidden in plain sight. Uh, I'll let you be the judge. Again, click the links in the show notes um, and look at this possible elephant statue or again, even possible fossilized Elephus Antiquus um, and look at the AI images I created that uh, kind of show the comparison of from statue to what it might have looked like in real life. Okay, now let's journey to Peru. And this is a site uh, that we are going to visit. So everything that you're going to hear about and see, again, if you click the link in the show notes about this site, uh, we're going to get to see and touch. So this site is called Kenko. And uh, yeah, weird name, I know. Uh, but it's near Cusco, Peru. And this site's not far from the much larger and very popular ancient sites like Sacsayhuaman that we're going to see as well that has 120 plus giant uh, precision stones. Uh, but again, this site is much smaller and much lesser known. And again, it's called Kenko. Um, it's also known as Little Kenko to some. Uh, but just because you may not have heard of it, do not make the mistake of thinking there is nothing to see here. Uh, for as you are going to see in these photographs, and what I'm going to describe is uh, quite fascinating. For this mysterious megalithic site features incredible mor mortarless walls as well, and precision cuts all over its protruding rock outcroppings. Um, one almost gets the sense that this was some sort of prehistoric playground for the ancient architects to um, craft and create with ease using whatever form of ancient technology they possessed. As you're going to see in these photos, it's kind of a wide open area with all these rock outcroppings protruding up from the ground. Uh, I think it's granite or it might be andesite, but it's very uh, uh, tough stone, strong stone, hard stone. But it's like, it's like these megalith megalithic architects were just whipping out their ancient tools and practicing all over the stones. You see what looks like core drill holes, saw-like cuts, crazy angles. Uh, it's crazy. In the Quechuan language, uh, Kenko means labyrinth or zigzag, which speaks to these endless crooked canal-like cutouts, again, seen everywhere. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're going to see one photo where uh, this photographer is sitting um, on top of this megalithic wall, which is probably the most massive part of the site. But what's crazy is he's sitting on the edge of these stairs that lead to nowhere. The stairs come down to the edge of this megalithic wall where there looks like there's this entrance. And then if you if you walked over it, again, you, you might fall to your death. It's, it's quite a drop. So the stairs that lead to nowhere, again, another mystery. Now, most mainstream academics consider this site to have been created originally by 
the amazing Inca Empire. Um, as amazing as the Inca were, they used bronze chisels and hammers uh, according to the archaeological record. Um, these are the only tools that the Inca are known to have used. Well, when you consider the Mohs Scale of Hardness, that's M-O-H-S, Mohs Scale of Hardness, that's kind of the standard for ranking uh, how hard stone is. Bronze ranks about a three, yet the granite and andesite stone seen at Kenko is much harder, ranking between a six and seven on the same scale. So how would the Inca have been able to precision craft this stone with softer tools? Now inside one of the largest stone outcroppings is a labyrinth-like cave that features a passageway, shaped surfaces, stairs, and what many believe is some kind of ancient altar. Now when I was in Peru back in 2017, I got to visit this site. I was absolutely in awe getting tra to traverse through this underground subterranean enigma. Now, some theorize that this Kenko site was actually considered to be a temple or a holy site for the Inca that was used for death rituals, where the dead were judged and embalmed in the winding underground tunnels and where blood sacrifices were offered to the gods. According to some Spanish chroniclers, the altar-shaped stone that you're going to see in this photograph, again, under this giant rock outcropping is what's like this cave with this passageway and everything is cut. And there is what looks like this crazy altar uh, underneath. And some Spanish chroniclers uh, believe that this altar-shaped stone was covered in pure gold back when the Spanish arrived. Uh, in the upper part of the chamber, you can see a hole in the cave ceiling where the so-called altar is. And apparently the light of the moon would penetrate through the hole and radiate upon the golden layer, thus illuminating this underground enigma. That must have been uh, quite a sight to see if this is true. Now, some historians believe that this chamber may have actually been where Inca Emperor Pacachutec uh, was buried. Now, you're going to see in another photo right above this subterranean cave is this is this zigzag serpent-looking canal that starts from a small hole and it moves down in an inclined plane, which then branches off. One of these branches could have possibly led whatever liquid they were using to the underground chamber. Uh, was it water? Was it blood? Was it something else? According to Cusco historian Victor Engels, the liquid could be enshrined chichi or the blood of beings sacrificed for the gods so the big question i have is did the inca or an earlier civilization craft this incredible site did the inca find this site at a much later date and retrofit it into a sacred temple again we'll explore the site this october and i hope you'll consider joining us just click the link in the show notes below for all the info Okay, let's finish this episode out by traveling to Egypt to talk about what may be an 80-ton depiction of a golden age goddess. Uh, you're not going to want to miss this last part. So located about 50 miles uh, northeast of the Great Pyramids of Giza is uh, the city of Zagazig. 
and this is home to the Tel Basta Museum. Now, I was here just this past February on our tour, and among the many ancient artifacts that can be seen at this museum, one of them literally overshadows the rest. Uh, because the museum is both inside, where all the small artifacts are, and then it's got a large outside area uh, that features this 30-foot-tall, 80-ton statue made from one solid piece of Aswan rose granite. Now, right out of the gate, uh, as the name implies, this rose granite was quarried in Aswan, which is over 600 miles away. Um, which is over 12 hours if you're riding by car, okay? Again, think about that. How would the ancients move this 80-ton piece of granite over 600 miles away thousands upon thousands of years ago before the wheel was invented? Now, a lot of people listening are going to say, oh, easy, they moved it uh, by boat on the Nile. Okay, let's pause and think about that. An 80-ton piece of granite how many thousands of men are going to be needed to transport this 80-ton piece of granite onto the supposed boat and then out of the supposed boat? How are thousands of men going to have room to get it onto the boat and off of the boat without sinking the boat? Right? So there's all these other logistical questions you've got to answer before you can just assume this was moved by boat on the Nile. Back to the statue. So mainstream archaeology, when you see the statue and when you read the plaques at the museum, they state that this depicts uh, Queen Maritamen of the 19th dynasty. Uh, Maritamen was the daughter of Ramses and Nefertiti and later became the great royal wife of her very own father, Ramses. So interesting story there about uh, these 19th dynasty uh, Egyptian pharaohs and rulers of the 19th dynasty. Approximately these, the, the dynastic Egyptians ruled anywhere from 3000 BC to 300 BC to kind of give you the time frame. So that's who mainstream Egyptology and, and history says that this statue belongs to. But again, let's let's think about this critically. If this statue depicts Maritamen, when you look at the statue, why does her face on this 80-ton statue appear completely different than the other faces of Maritamen that we see on all the other statues that depict that dynastic ruler? And when you look at this 80-ton statue, although badly damaged and weathered by the ages, Notice the precision detail that can still be seen on this thing, especially on what I would call the headdress. Again, this is rose granite. It ranks between a 7 and 8 on the Mohs scale of hardness. To give you an idea, diamond is the hardest, ranked 10. This is 7 or 8. Very hard. Uh, and it's wearing this headdress that is got precision designs in it. According to the archaeological record, kind of like we just talked about with the Inca, the dynastic Egyptians of 3000 BC, they used softer copper and iron chisels and hammers that ranked a 3 to 4 on the Mohs scale of hardness. How could they have precision made this statue 
make these precision designs all over it, especially the headdress that you can still see. How would they have done that with softer tools? That would be, I, I like to use the illustration of me trying to cut down a tree in my backyard with a plastic knife. Okay, number one, it would be very hard to do. Number two, even if I did cut it down, how would I precision craft a totem pull out of it with my plastic knife? It wouldn't be too easy. In fact, it would be impossible. In this article that I'm going to link in the show notes to, again, show you the pictures, you're going to see I created a side-by-side a -side comparison of this 80-ton statue with the other famous statue of Maritaman. And uh, you'll see they look nothing like each other. Um, Egyptologist and tour guide Muhammad Ibrahim, who's our host on our Egypt tours, um, and I like to get his input on all this because he's uh, one of the most brilliant minds of Egypt, I believe. He's a uh, well-studied Egyptologist, but he's one of the rare Egyptologists who have broken with the mainstream um, because he believes that a civilization before the dynastic Egyptians uh, created the pyramids and created uh, a lot of these megalithic elements we see in Egypt. When I asked him about this statue, um, he said, yes, he believes it's much older than we've been told and that it absolutely predates the dynastic Egyptians by at least several thousand years. Uh, so again, that brings me to the big question. Are we looking here at a megalithic statue that actually depicts a golden age ruler from the antediluvian world? If you listen to me or my podcast or my videos long enough, you're going to pick up on this theme, um, whether it's this statue, right? Whether it's the site at Kenko in Peru or whether it's the um, possible elephant statue in Italy, right? Are these actual remnants of a much older civilization that are left behind in plain sight that these other cultures that came along later tagged them, repurposed them, and claimed them as their own? I'll let you decide, but definitely click on the link below to check out the pictures of this statue and of everything that we've talked about today. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and check out my last episode where I interviewed uh, Robert Edward Grant, uh, the polymath, inventor, explorer. Um, we had a fascinating um, interview where he shared about some of his discoveries inside the King's Chamber of the Great Pyramid. And he talked about Leonardo da Vinci, the great artist, uh, his secret visit to Egypt back in the 1400s and now he basically hid pyramid codes inside his most famous art pieces fascinating and actually if you are on Spotify you can actually watch the presentation on video where he's showing screenshots in the video of all that stuff until next time keep exploring